Lord's Day, we began a short series on that great chapter of love that is recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And let us read once again the portion that we are have considered and are beginning to consider, uh, actually beginning at the final verse of chapter 12 and reading through verse 8 of chapter 13. So, here once again God's Word, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity... I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly or inappropriately. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. We recall from the beginning of our study of this portion of God's Word last week that the Corinthians were a body of relatively new believers, many of whom were rescued from the sewer of all kinds of perversity and uh, gross sins, rebellion against God. And it was also a unique time because the apostles were present within the church and the Lord Jesus Christ had bestowed upon the apostles and within the circle of their influence these supernatural gifts that were given as kinds of badges to demonstrate that God is actively speaking. The Lord Jesus Christ sent his apostles with a commission to go and speak authoritatively in his name, assuring them that they would have the same spirit that was upon Christ. And that he that hears you, hears me, says Jesus. And he that hears me, hears him that sent me. And yet, these relatively young believers were somewhat, if not rather, immature. Using these supernatural gifts, such as the miraculous ability to speak spontaneously in languages that they had never learned, and others who never knew these before, able to interpret them, uttering prophecies under the immediate inspiration of the Holy Spirit like the prophets of God of old or or different powers to heal 
and not the kind of stunts and gimmicks that you see on TV by those slick charlatans whom even those of the world can see right through. It's like they've been given all these fancy toys and they're so fixated on them and they're so amazed by them and they're getting kind of petty. That's my toy. Or look, look at what I have. Now the apostle, he doesn't tell them to stop engaging in these gifts. God gave these gifts to the church at that time for a particular purpose and a reason. And he regulates the proper use of these supernatural gifts that were uh, connected to the presence and the activity of the apostles in chapter 12 and 14. But in the middle of it, the apostle Paul takes them higher. He says, covet, that is desire earnestly the best gifts, but I want to show you a more excellent way. And so, although the, uh, many of the things that we read of are not directly applicable to us in the modern church where the apostles with their supernatural gifts are no longer present, we have left for us this glorious chapter that is so profound and relevant We turn, having looked at the first three verses where the apostle uh, prepares the way for a a direct looking on this wonderful uh, grace of of what the authorized version calls charity. Now, oftentimes in our minds, we identify charity in the modern day with, with giving donations to a certain cause. Well, that's really not what we're talking about at least directly, we're we're talking about love. And we're going to uh, begin looking rather closely at these different attributes and qualities of the more excellent way of love. But before we do that this morning, as we uh, make our way into the, 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 the wonderful tribute that the apostle gives to charity or love, let's make some initial observations about Paul's great celebration of charity. Now, why is that? Because there is confusion about this passage. This passage is one of the more memorable passages of the Bible. It's it's been quoted by very diverse individuals such as President Obama in his first inaugural address. It was read in whole by Tony Blair at Princess Diana's funeral in 1997. And it's celebrated among those who have either questionable orthodoxy or none at all. Perhaps you've seen a very beautiful rendering of this chapter, maybe in calligraphy, hanging in the wall of some liberal church. You've gone to a wedding And you wouldn't set foot in this place if it weren't for the fact that your loved one is going to be taking vows there. But there you see, and there's 1 Corinthians 13, it's so beautiful. And yet these people don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The problem 
is that people are captivated by the sheer beauty of this chapter that is so compelling that they lift it from its context, but by doing that, they profoundly misunderstand it. It's kind of like a man who's, who's looking at a map before the days of GPS and cell phones. You unfolded this cumbersome thing there in your car as you're on the side of the road, and you're looking at it, and you think you're reading it right, and you're just about to put the key back in the ignition and go when the wife says, now, honey, I think you're reading the map wrong. You see, it's upside down. You see, you can be looking at what's before you and not realize that you're not properly oriented. And so, as we make our way into the virtue, the better way, the more excellent way of the Apostle Paul, let us consider some several observations to orient us. First, love or charity in our version is a virtue. Now, a virtue is a thing It is a real thing. It is not a fiction, but it's not physical. It's a kind of a a power, a driving and impelling force, perhaps like the wind, or even as electricity. We see the effect of electricity, but we don't actually see that power, and yet it is very, very real. It is a personal virtue. It's not possible for uh, irrational creatures to love. It is personal and it is a moral influence. So it's not just a a warm, fuzzy feeling. True love is profoundly personal and moral. It is, of course, an excellent power. There is something supremely wonderful about it. It is, in the definition of William Ames, a condition or habit by which the will is inclined to do well. So in the first case, when we consider this this thing that Paul is celebrating, I want to show you a more excellent way. You're impressed by by the fireworks, by the by the 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 sheer jaw-dropping power of these, these healings, the ability to speak in these foreign languages, and yet you've, you've never even been to any of these countries where they speak these strange languages. I want to point you to something that is. It's real, but it's not flashy. But make no mistake, it is a real thing. It is a powerful thing. It is a beautiful thing. It is an excellent thing. Now we might, at this point, 
speak to the skeptic. The skeptic is doubtful of things that he can't see, of mysterious beings and forces that cannot be observed by the naked eye or touched with the hands. Perhaps to the skeptic, those things are the stuff of fairy tales. But then what of love? What of love, O skeptic? Are you skeptical of love? You know, some become skeptical. They become rather jaded when they realize that all the words uh, that are being used that are so very um, uh, uh, striking and, and, and arousing and encouraging, that it's all just a tool to use me. You know, you don't have to be an outright atheist to be a skeptic. Sometimes you can just be the kind of person who's been burned. It's not real. It's just just a game. But to the the more technical or the the more uh, textbook a skeptic, you, you deny what you don't see. Well then, what is love? Is love simply a matter of the DNA? It is simply the effects of, of fluids, chemicals moving through our body? Is it perhaps only the product of social conditioning, that we're basically all animals. And so we talk about love and and we turn on the radio and people are singing and crooning about love. But what is it really? Can love be manufactured and manipulated, genetically engineered in the laboratory? Well, we all know, even the most hardened of men and the most uh, doubtful of skeptics know that there is a thing as love and it transcends mere physicality. It is a powerful force And it's not even a force uh, that is impersonal, like wind or or, or electricity. It is indeed a mighty force among men. And this is one of the reasons why this chapter does get the attention of unbelievers, even if they don't really understand. They're looking at the map wrong. Love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath the most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. And so I say to you, skeptic, whether you are here or perhaps listening from a distance, you doubt what you don't see. Well, do you doubt love? And if you doubt love, what do you have? What is left? Just impulses and appetites? Are we just animals at the end of the day? 
Does not this chapter, even though it proceeds by the inspiration of the Spirit, resonate with reason and the conscience that there is something more? Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It is. It is this most excellent virtue. It is this most excellent way. So we're not chasing a hallucination. Second, love is but one pure virtue in essence, yet for us it is many-sided. It is one pure virtue in essence, but to us it is many-sided. This one excellence, this excellent way, this, this charity... It, it, it shows itself in various ways. You can see uh, different dimensions of love as, as one interacts with, within a marriage, with children, with friends, with grandparents, with enemies. Perhaps you heard of, of a time when there was a a ceasefire on the Western Front in World War I. And the British and the Americans, they got out of their trenches and the Germans did as well and they spent some time just socializing and playing around a little bit. These were really boys, many of them. It's like a fountain that issues in several streams, but it's one element, water. Edwards wrote, it is one as to its principle, whatever the object about which it is exercised, it is from the same spring or fountain in the heart, though it may flow out in different channels and in diverse directions. A Christian, when when the Lord brings various trials and temptations upon you, you, by the grace of God, you'll, you'll see other dimensions and aspects of love. Sometimes love is forceful and aggressive. Sometimes it is retiring. Sometimes it, it rejoices. Other times it weeps. Sometimes it holds and clutches closely. At other times, it opens its hands and it gives. Third, this better way, this more excellent way, this charity, this love is most potent. Because it has many powerful and marvelous virtues uh, combined in it. 
Or to put it another way, it is known by its wonderful effects. There's a, there's a force and a potency about this. And this is, a, this is one of the reasons why the Corinthians uh, didn't see this way very clearly. You see, this is the road less taken. What they're looking at is the superhighway. Six lanes. All kinds of signage. No potholes. Smooth asphalt. Clearly painted lines. And the sun is shining and you can just cruise. But this... This gets overlooked. You see, the gifts, these powerful things that attracted the attention of so many of these immature, childish Corinthians, they were so splashy, so easily, easily misused. But this, here is a secret power. So very, very powerful, having the effect of healing broken marriages, enabling great uh, suffering and enduring of hardships. It is a powerful thing that is so very patient, that is not easily provoked. We'll soon uh, consider these various aspects of virtues, but just, just think of how powerful that is, not to be easily provoked. One proverb speaks about uh, greater power in a man who can control his anger compared to a man who can scale a city and overtake it with his bare hands. Do you want to see power? Do you want to see Samson-like power? There is greater power in Christian love than there is in all the brawn of that great man of old. Do you want power, my friends? You see, many times we, we lust inordinately We desire different things. Sometimes it is power. Weakness is not something that we like. We don't like to be dependent. We don't like to have to wait because we're unable to affect our will. Oh, but there is such a power, this hidden power, this power for good, this power for blessing, this power to heal, this power to restore, this power to give hope. Think of all, think of all the abuse of power in this world and how it is left behind such wreckage and ruins. How heartbreaking. I'm sure it must have been in 1945, these defeated Germans, to look around and to see these great buildings, even in Berlin, 
some of them very ancient and old, and, and they're shattered in ruin, and they're piles of rubble, and they're trying to pull out bodies of their comrades. Oh, there is such force in hatred and in selfishness. But there is far, far, far greater power in love. That is the power that conquered your heart, Christian. It wasn't the law. The law didn't conquer your heart. The law is weak. The law, not because of any defect in it, but because of sin. It is weak and unable to bring about that which is good. It only condemns the law. It only uh, accuses, and it shows us how very weak we are. But when we were yet without strength, Christ died for us. God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he went because of love. But what's love, you say? 2,000 years, we look back and we see the power of love. This love. This greater love. Greater love has no one. No one has a greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. You want power, my friend. Do you want power in your life? Do you want dynamism to overcome those barriers that are before you? Now, there are many legitimate ways to pursue. But if you get distracted and you lose perspective and you don't seek the most excellent way, you're going to, it's going to become diffuse. You're going to scatter and waste all your energy. And you'll find yourself twice as weak as you were before. You know, some are enticed by even dark powers because they, they lust. Maybe they, they were weaker physically, awkward in their temperament. People looked down upon them. They were, they were not in the in crowd, and, and they want power. Oh, it's satanic. Satanic, that seduction to draw towards an illicit power. But this, this is not illicit. It is, it is as that one woman who was a, she was a medium. She was what we would call in more ancient times a, a witch. And she, she came to hear Dr. Lloyd-Jones preach. And the Lord converted her. And she came up to the good doctor at a later point, and told him about her experience. And she explained, you see, I had power when I was a medium. I had great power to conjure up those hidden forces. But when I came into this place, I felt power, but it was a clean power. You see, that's what you should want. You should want a clean power. Well, here is a clean 
power. It's not dirty. It doesn't leave thick residue of regret and guilt and shame. It doesn't leave in its, in its wake hurt people. Relationships that are forever broken or in the case that some will never be reconciled, we get sunk down with bitterness and resentment. Some of you perhaps are struggling with that very thing. You have this deep resentment. Some people have hurt you and they're never going to apologize. But do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. And those who tap into this Christian grace of love, all the chains of bitterness and resentment, they they shatter into a thousand pieces and we're able to rise above. My friend, my Christian friend, Have you been meandering off the path? Have you been looking at the six-lane highway? Easy on-ramp, convenient exits, with all the amenities at all those travel plazas? It's the wrong way. It's the wrong way, and you know it. And maybe the Lord's chastening you right now because you've been seeking the wrong kind of power and force for change. It's love. It's Christian love. Fourth, to orient us so that we're not looking at this map upside down. So that we're not just uh, enchanted by the kind of spell that it casts uh, because it is such great literature, and it is, let's not deny that, but consider to orient us that love, this love, this charity is not a vague, undefinable impression. It is not a vague, undefinable impression, but a definite object of knowledge. Now, it's more than that, but it's no less than that. The mistake is that love is often understood in a purely romantic or mystical way. But in verses 4 through 8, which we'll be looking at rather closely in the the weeks ahead, we see that there is great specificity. Consider the use of language desired to communicate information to the mind. What do we say about charity? It is patient. It is not easily provoked. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. These are These are words that mean things. Consider the close reasoning that's just preceded in verses 1 to 3. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You think of those great uh, uh, cymbals. They make such noise. They reverberate. But what do they leave behind? You see, he is, we, we considered this last time, Paul is a, a aggressively reaching the heart through the mind. That's the only way you're going to fix your heart problems, is by taking your mind, sitting it down in that chair, throwing away the iPhone, or just put it on silent. And listening. Consider how much definition is in the words before us. It does not vaunt itself. It does not lift itself up. It's not puffed up. It's not swollen with, with, with selfishness. There are these uh, distinctions, fine distinctions. There's positive statements. Charity is patient and kind. There are negative statements. It does not envy. It does not seek her own. It is not easily provoked. It rejoices not in iniquity, but what does it do? It's not just a negative virtue. It's not just a list of do-nots, but there is, on the other side, all the do's. Love is not a vague, undefinable impression. That nice feeling that I get when she bats her eyes at me. What is that? That's not to say it's nothing, but is that what love is? Is love that giddy excitement that you have when you're on your third date and you feel like this might be the one? Well, that may be natural, but there's so much more to love than those feelings because 50 years later, if they're going to be holding hands and walking by the road and using a walker, there's going to be, have to be more than just nice feelings. Fifth, love is not popularly but apostolically defined. Who's saying this? Well, it's, it's not the people. This passage wasn't put up to popular vote by the church in Corinth. What do you think love is? No. This is authoritative definition by authoritative revelation because the apostles were given the Holy Spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ to teach and preach authoritatively in the name of Jesus. 
So what we have left behind, though we don't have their audible voice, like I'm speaking to you right now, we have the official teaching of the apostles, and we include them right with the Old Testament writings because they are authoritative scripture given by inspiration of God. Boys and girls, you know your catechism. What is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God? The only rule of direction is the Word of God contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. So tell us, Apostle. Tell us, Lord Jesus, what is love. We are blind. We don't understand. We talk about love. We sing about love. But we have no idea what we're talking about. And if you doubt it, just open your eyes and look at our society. The word here in the Greek, agape, comes from the verb employed in classical Greek, agapao, which means to love. This is distinct from other words that is used in the Greek, such as philos, that is the love among friends, or eros, which is uh, romantic, sexual love. Yet the particular form agape appears to have originated, interestingly, biblically. It was first used to translate the Hebrew word for love, ahava, in the Song of Solomon, and thereafter was used quite extensively by the apostles Paul, John, Peter, and Jude. In one lexicon, which is a dictionary, it is called an ecclesiastical word. That is to say, it is a word that was taken from the broader culture, but tweaked and modified within the walls of the church. That's how God speaks. It's eminent domain. I take this word and concept, and I use it to say what I want to say. So there are connections but we have to be careful not to read in how a concept, how a word is used in the world and just import that over to what the Bible is saying. We need to do justice to what God is saying in his holy word. Now, the significance here for our understanding is that agape, this love, this charity, it must be informed and shaped by the rest of the scriptures and especially the writings of the apostles, including the gospels. So you can't cut 1 Corinthians 13 out of the Bible and hang it on the wall of your local Unitarian church, Jewish synagogue, or mosque and say, now here's something we can all agree on. No, this is Christian love. And Christian love is the only kind of love. All all others are pretenders. But God made this thing. He gets to define it. Love is not an ecumenical virtue. It is an evangelical virtue. 
This means that the genuine article must be distinguished from counterfeits, the so-called love of the Gentiles who don't love God. If you don't love God, how do you love? Or the counterfeit of hypocritical Christians who may have the gift of knowledge and know all prophecies and have all wisdom, and yet they have not love, they are nothing. You say you're a Christian and you don't love? You don't love your brothers or your sisters? You pick and choose? You say, I don't like him. I don't need to treat him with dignity. He gets on my last nerve. Or... I don't have to love my enemies. I love my friends. I love those who do good to me. Is that how you are, my friend? Well, if that's how you are, what do you more than the Pharisees and the publicans? you, You don't excel in any way the common way of, of doing good because people do good to us back or first. I'm going to cross my arms. I'm not going to show hospitality until they show me hospitality first. I'm not going to pay him a visit You're not going to visit Christ? I was naked. You did not clothe me. I was hungry. You did not feed me. And many Christians can talk about love. It's not so hard to talk about it. It's not very hard to read. This is a a masterpiece of literature. And we can just feel the warmth inside. And we can lock arms with Oprah Winfrey. But if we don't have love, what are we? Charity does not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not her own, is not easily provoked. Love is not popularly but apostolically defined. Sixth, love is a way. And a most excellent one at that. It is a way to employ the gifts that God has given The gifts are not ends in themselves. They are tools. Love is the only way by which we can properly use the tools that God has given us. This means that love is a life-governing principle. It extends to all of life. It's not just the heart. There is a path 
away from the mind to the affections. Now, there are affections. We need to have emotions and feelings, and sometimes we love even when we don't feel like loving. But if we love, we inform our feelings. Now, I I know you don't want to go and talk to her, but you're going to talk to her. This is the way. This is the way to to govern our feelings and to guide our conduct. Therefore, love is not just a way, although Paul, in in a certain way, he... He kind of uh, comes by the back door, as we said, uh, as it were, last week. I show you a more excellent way. An understatement. It's the way. It is our duty. How kind the Lord is with these immature, bickering Petty children, how merciful and kind the Lord is to us, sometimes not to clobber us over the head, but to say, come here, you need to see this. Love is the fulfilling of the law. The law, the Torah, the teaching, the instruction, the path. This is the way. You are lost if you are not in this way. Strive to enter into the narrow gate. Finally, seventh, love is a grace. When we really look and reckon with the excellence of this way, this more excellent way, this charity, this love, we know that it does not normally grow out of the soil of fallen man. Our default ever since the fall is to hate God and our neighbor. And though we may flatter ourselves taking the common and general grace of God that restrains us so that we can look in the mirror and say, well, yes, I just don't seem that bad. I've got many other virtues and excellencies, and yet, as Augustine would say, they're splendid sins because they're poisoned by your poor motivation because you don't have a right end. Why are you doing this? Are you doing it because of you? Are you living for your highest end? Do you know God? Do you love Him? Is all subordinated to His honor and glory? Do you love Him? Who is love? How do you love if you don't love God who is love? Well, this is why love is a grace. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son 
to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the source. Those are the headwaters. This is love. Love took flesh and dwelt among us. Therefore, let us return to Him who is the very love of God and let us follow Him and keep His commandments. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please rise. Our Master, we pray that thy love would be kindled or rekindled in our hearts by the gospel and that we would walk in this way, in this habit, in this discipline of love. Even as Christ loved us, so may we love thee and love each other. Forgive us our many sins and our faults, and would thou send us with thy blessing. Amen. You may be seated.